everybody and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. Conversations with entrepreneurs, creatives, thinkers and dreamers who also happen to be surfers. My name is Imi and I am your host and first of all, Happy New Year. I truly wish that 2019 will be full of fun waves, blasting through your personal goals and basically making the most of life. So welcome back. This year I've got some phenomenal guests coming in the show and in today's episodes I wanted to share the story of Sheridan Lathe, also known as Sheddy. So Sheddy is from Australia. She is what you could call a wild or an adventure vet as she's been travelling the world saving wild animals in refuges and sanctuaries. I was blown away by her story. First of all, She had the guts to sell up all her belongings in Australia and move on to a sailboat called Chuffed in Panama. She has spent the last two years saving some of the weirdest and cutest animals in Central America and learning on her own how to repair and keep her boat afloat. Lately, she rediscovered surfing and right now she is shredding it in the bucket list spot of Pavones, Costa Rica. You could clearly say that Sheddy is creating her dream job on the go. So if there's anything to take from this episode, it's the fact that if you're prepared to live simply, anything's possible. In our conversation, I asked Sheddy how she actually made it to Panama and what it takes to build a veterinary clinic on a boat. We go into the nitty gritty of finding and owning a boat with the technicalities of living as an expat in the different places she'd sailed to. We explore the kind of procedures she undertakes as a vet and how her passion for animals has enabled her to create a nomadic lifestyle that mixes volunteer work, vlogging and surfing. So I'll now let Sheddy do the talking. Hello Sheddy and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. How are you? I'm very well, thank you for having me. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Um, Do you think before we start, you could introduce yourself briefly to the listeners? Yeah, definitely. Uh, My name's Sheridan, or Sheddy for short, and I'm an Australian. I'm currently in Australia, but I've been living in Panama and Costa Rica for the last two years on board my boat Chuffed. And um, I just do a lot of volunteer work with a wide variety of animals over there, which has been really great. Okay, and have you always had a, an adventurous lifestyle? I've I've definitely always loved traveling, and um, I've wanted to be a veterinarian since I was quite young. So I guess I used the combination to be able to um, have some good adventures along the way during university and beyond. So yeah, definitely, I think I've always been a bit of an adventurer at heart. Right. So have you been traveling elsewhere apart from Central America? Yes, I um. I did some volunteering um, in the Pacific Islands and in Asia while I was at veterinary school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then before getting the boat, I actually lived in China for almost two years and worked with a uh, bear rescue organization called Animals Asia over there. So that was a pretty mm-hmm. crazy and eye-opening experience. Um, yeah, so it was pretty pretty awesome over there. <laughs> so, so were you rescuing panda bears? It was actually, um, they're called Asiatic moon bears or mm-hmm. Asiatic black bears. Um, and they're used in the bear bile farm, farming trade for traditional medicine. So we were basically rescuing them from farms and rehabilitating them. Um, and then they would get to live out the rest of their lives in the sanctuary with us. So I, I lived with um, around 150 bears for the whole wow. time I was there. That's amazing. So um, 
going forward in the interview, so you write, uh, you've been travelling for the past two years on your boat, your sailboat called Chuffed. Um, yes, that's right. What inspired you to pack up and sell all your belongings and live on a boat? Well, I guess um, most of the belongings had already been sold to move to China, so we were already okay. part of the way there. And um, at, my husband, uh, who I'm no longer with, but at the time, he was um, very... Uh, very much into sailing he'd been sailing before and had spent a lot of his life um, sailing boats mm-hmm. and yeah we kind of decided that it was the right time while we were already downsized to go for it and see what happened so we um, had saved up the money and decided to go ahead and buy a boat <laughs> that's amazing so, so how long did it take um, between you de- sort of you decided to to move and do this adventure and actually make it onto onto the boat it's um it's something we'd kind of you know mentioned on and off for a few years like I'd be so great to have a sailboat but you know how can it possibly work mm-hmm. and then once I was in China um, I guess everything just seemed a little more possible because I guess I'd never thought I would live in China working with bears either right. <laughs> so um, yeah so I guess kind of that last year in China we just started really really saving and. Um, kind of made the decision probably only six months before we found the boat that we were going to do it and yeah just kind of worked towards it for six months until we found the perfect boat which happened to be in Panama so that made the move. So so um you didn't choose the boat because it was in Panama but you just chose the boat or how did how did that work out because it's a really strategic place to start out an adventure you've got the whole Central America and South America at your doorstep um what what was the choice for Chuffed? Well, it's it's a very strategic place to um, start the adventure, but it's also a place that a lot of people finish their adventure. So um, a lot of people have crossed the Atlantic or they've been through the Caribbean and then they get to Panama City and the next big step is 30 days without land to cross the Pacific and a lot of people decide that maybe that's yeah. where their adventure ends. So there's a lot of boats for sale in Panama and a lot of boats for sale very cheap in Panama. So um, that kind of influenced the decision where the it was, I guess, the right boat at the right price that helped make the decision. So. <laughs> and, and sorry about these sort of uh, uh, detailed questions, but what did you do yeah. about visas? Um, I mean, how does that work when you're living on a boat? Um, do you have to sort of change country from time to time? Yes. Yeah. So in Panama, it's not so bad. You get uh, six months uh, on your visa, which is pretty easy, and the boat gets nine months. But in Costa Rica, it's a little more tricky Um the people only get uh, three months at a time right. and then we have to leave for a day and come back. Um, whereas the boat gets 90 days but then has to go into marina for 90 days and then it can come out for 90 days or you have to leave the country. So wow. at the moment, Chuff's been going in and out of marinas. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. So, yeah. so whereabouts did your travels lead you to on Chuffed? Um. So mainly throughout Panama and Costa Rica, um, the first big stop was the Las Perlas Islands, which are off the Pacific coast of Panama. Mm-hmm. Um, and I organised with a local um, organisation in Panama called Spay Panama to assist me and I guess give me the um, the kind of legal requirements to be able to go to Las Perlas. And I ended up doing surgery on 75 animals and treated over 120 during a five-week period exploring the island. So it was pretty um, pretty amazing. 
No, oh, it's, that's really interesting. So you spent five weeks on an island and you performed these operations on dogs, cats. What, other, what kind of animals did you, did you treat? So it was mainly dogs and cats. So um, there's, there's, I guess, areas of population within the island chain and there's about um, kind of 15 big islands. And we ended up going to four of the main towns to do surgery. Um, and essentially it was, we originally tried to pre-organise what would happen <laughs> when we were there. But given that the islands are quite remote um, and people do have cell phones and things there, but trying to get the number of anybody just basically in the end, we had to wing it. Uh-huh. Um, so essentially we would turn up at the place, um, tell them that we had free surgery available to spay and neuter the animals um, and usually they would send like a guinea pig or two to test out whether it was definitely free and see what happened. Uh, and generally once that had happened, then all of a sudden we'd be getting, you know, 10 or 15 dogs a day come in, wow. um, mainly female dogs, which um, th- there's still a bit of stigma on castrating male dogs there. Um, so I did talk to people about that as well. Uh, but we ended up on in three of the villages, we actually spayed every female dog um, that wasn't pregnant at the time. So we hopefully made a really big change in the um, population, even with just that one campaign. And and are islands like uh, Las Perlas um, quite prone to diseases like rabies or other um, dog or cat diseases? Um, Is is that why the the spaying is so important there? Or is it just a question of regulating populations? It's a bit of both. Um, it's It has a lot of knock-on effects. So there's not so much rabies there, but definitely there's a lot of respiratory infections. And there's also a um, sexually transmitted uh, cancer in dogs that's very common there as well. Um, and it's very difficult to treat, So um, as most cancers are. So I guess spaying and neutering the dogs and cats ha- helps with that. But it also can help environmentally because it's difficult for the people to be able to afford to, it's a pretty low socioeconomic area mm-hmm. and it's difficult for them to be able to afford to feed the animals properly, which means right. that animals then hunt the iguanas and the birds and the sea life. And so it has a lot of knock on effects like that. Um, but also there's a lot of bacteria and viral diseases that can be transmitted between um, domestic and wild animals. So I guess by controlling the population and making it a healthier population of domestic animals, you can then make the town and the environment around the town a lot healthier as well. So it's kind of to try and hopefully have some long-lasting effects in the area. That's so cool. That's really, that's really amazing. And actually, I, I looked at the footage on YouTube and it was just amazing to see um, the lines of people and all these dogs sort of lying on, that, that were obviously under anaesthetic, that were lying on the floor waiting to sort of go under the knife. It was quite impressive to sort of see the whole, the, 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 the group, the, the regroupment of population. It was, it was really amazing. So I definitely recommend our, our listeners to go and have a look at, at the videos that you published. So yeah. once you were in Panama, you, did you move up north then? Do you go towards Costa Rica? Yeah, that's right. So we eventually made our way to Costa Rica and we actually um, did a pretty big jump where we left um, from Toboga Island, which is quite close to Panama City, and then did five days um, out at sea to go straight to Costa Rica. And there's a lot of shipping channels in that area because of the Panama Canal. So it's you've kind of got to keep watch a lot of the way. And it's also an area that's really uh, renowned for storms that just come out of nowhere. (laughs) So we spent um, about, I think, three of the five days were in storms and we ended up with about seven different 
little seabirds on the boat throughout the time that I had to take refuge. Really? <laughs> so we, oh my god, they, they landed work the... even on the way. <laughs> yeah, they landed in the right place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is the boat in Costa Rica now? Do you are you going to go back there, or or have you planned on other? Have you made other plans um, with Chuffed? Yeah, I'm um, planning on returning in uh, just under a week, actually. So I'll be back on board pretty soon. And, um, yeah, the plan for now is um, to continue doing the animal work and hopefully exploring Costa Rica. And I haven't quite decided where to head next, possibly north, but then sometimes I'd like to go south. So (laughs) where the wind takes me. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. And um, um, when you're living on a boat, I saw that you on the videos that you spent a countless amount, amounts of time sort of fixing things and repairing things. What kind of skills do you need to be a good sailor? Well, I um, I had actually never really been on a sailboat before Chuff, so it was definitely a big, uh, big learning curve for me. I think the sailing is something that somewhat just comes from practice and comes naturally. You know, you, you learn when to raise the sails, when to lower them and the wind directions and things like that. But the harder part is learning to live in a small space and learning how to fix everything in the small space because boats definitely require a lot of repair work. And um, particularly I've been on board by myself for – it's been over six months now and there's been engine problems. I've had some leaking problems and um, a bunch of things like that that I've just had to kind of learn to tackle and – YouTube has been a great help to me <laughs> watching other people fix engines so that I can then fix my engine. Um, yeah. But I, I kind of enjoy the challenge and I think um, having the problem solving veterinary brain has helped, but <laughs> definitely living on a boat, it's a good idea to have some knowledge of the systems on the boat because they, they do tend to fail at very inconvenient times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so could you describe what Chuff looks like for the listeners? Yeah, so it's a 37-foot mono hull, so it's about uh, 11 metres long. Um, and she's what we would call a beamy boat, which basically means she's quite wide, so it's nice and roomy downstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a really nice wooden interior. I've got a little kitchen and a little seating lounge area. Um, and then there's a cabin at the very front where I sleep, and then there's also a cabin at the back, which at the moment is the uh, veterinary supply cabin, but okay. can also accommodate friends and family if they visit so, um, and then there's like a small little toilet and bathroom up the back as well um, I don't have an indoor shower so all the showering is done up on deck with rainwater with a little solar shower which is actually quite nice Fantastic. <laughs> but, yeah um, and it's actually an aluminium boat so um, there's a little bit more maintenance with the hull but they're very strong boats Mm. and it actually has the ability to put the keel up inside the boat which is a bit unusual with a sailboat but it means you can go into very very shallow water which can be really nice when you're doing veterinary things because you can go a bit closer to shore Uh, but it also means you can explore some kind of cool rivers and other areas that might be harder to get to normally amazing that's amazing what do you miss the most when you live on a boat i think um I think it's just space, to be honest, because <laughs> it is quite a small space. So it's hard to get out of, um, you know, if you've got more than one person on board, it's hard to get out of each other's way. Yeah. Um, and definitely the creature comforts probably just aren't as much as in a house. Like my refrigerator is very, very small and I turn it off at night time to conserve energy because it's mm-hmm. completely off the grid boat, all on sol- uh, solar power. So, um 
little things like that where you can't have ice cream or anything too cold. <laughs> uh, luckily, I'm not a meat eater anyway, so that that's a bit easier. But, you know, things like that can be harder. Yeah. Um, and I guess also just the living in a house, I never left my house and worried that it wouldn't be there when I got back where it's the boat. That is definitely something that happens where when you're not on board, you're constantly worried it might sink. So. Of course, of course. <laughs> about your veterinary work um what inspired you to become a vet in the first place uh it's I've wanted to be a vet since I was about five so I I don't even really know myself what made me (laughs) want to do it originally um but I've always really really loved animals and I just think animals um I guess they have a certain innocence to them and they can't um I mean, they can care for themselves, but if they're sick, they can't care for themselves. Yeah. So I guess that ability to help something that can't help itself was really important to me. And um, and like I was saying with spay and neuter campaigns and different things like that, I guess um, helping the animals can then help so much more. And I think it inspires the local people too as well to look after animals in their area more and the wildlife. And so I think I'm ho- I hope it has an effect on, I guess, conservation and environmentalism and things as well. Yeah, because you've had, um, well, you've been you've been really, really working in a lot of sort of um, wild places with China and um, Panama, Costa Rica. What what kind of um, animals are you likely to treat um, when you're in these sorts of areas? Are they, are they more exotic? Than yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, since being in Costa Rica, I've actually been doing quite a lot of sea turtle work, which has been really interesting. Um, pretty much every problem we've seen in sea turtles has somewhat been, uh, man, I guess, induced by man. Where, um, you know, fishing hooks, fishing line, plastic ingestion, things like that. So that's been, I guess, sad in a way, but also very interesting and hopefully educational for people to see what's happening to turtles. Yeah. Um, one of my good friends in Costa Rica is also a wildlife vet at a pretty busy clinic, so that's been really fun too. I've gone up there and helped with things like um, – electrocuted monkeys we had a drowned sloth once that got caught in some big waves um lots of orphaned babies a a huge variety of animals which has been really special and just very nice to work with um Mm -hmm. such a huge variety of wild native wildlife from Costa Rica and Panama has been really really special right that's amazing because um on your on your Instagram and YouTube channels there's some pretty graphic um examples of operations and and whatever it's it's very it's amazing how how easy you can adapt to different sorts of animals and different sorts of you know uh creatures whether they're reptiles or whether they're uh, mammals it's 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 an amazing job it must be so exciting on a day-to-day basis yeah and that's one of the things i really love about being a veterinarian is um even just in a normal cat and dog veterinary clinic no two days are ever the same you're always seeing new diseases or new presentations and um you know animals doing different things so it's it keeps the job really really interesting and obviously it's very rewarding because if you do manage to save the animals that you know the outcome is just so nice and so rewarding when you see them healthy again whether it's with their owners or back into the wild absolutely and um and so to become a vet in australia is it a very long process Um, The university I went to uh, is only five years, which is um, not long compared to most places. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of them are five to six years in Australia. So it's a a pretty, um, yeah, you can get there relatively quickly compared to the degree in the States and some other countries. Mm -hmm. And do you have to be good at some specific subject like science or 
Yeah, definitely. Um, you do definitely have to get quite good grades through high school if you're trying to get in straight out of school. Um, maths, English and biology and chemistry are all prerequisites for applying. Um, but for those people who aren't doing as well in school, definitely there is the pathway of doing like a science degree and then later applying to veterinary school to help lead you in there once you're a bit more mature and ready to put in some of the really hard yards to study, which there are a lot of for veterinary yes. school. So. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. So so moving on to your experience in, in the refuge, refuges um, in Central America, um, what, what's a day in the life of a, a refuge vet? Yeah, it's... Um, very unpredictable, but um, a lot of the animals that are getting seen at the hospitals, um, there's a lot of hit by cars is very common, um, a lot of orphaned animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess, um, like I was saying, there's, you know, electrocutions, drownings, all kinds of other weird things that happen as well. Um, hit by cars, that is definitely get really common. So it's mm-hmm. something that I guess, again, educating people to keep an eye out for wildlife um, is really important. Um, but generally the mornings in a veterinary clinic, uh, kind of start with medicating everybody who's already in hospital, checking up on everybody, feeding everybody, cleaning everything. Um, and then generally during the day you get the influx of patients. And so that can range from anything from medical treatments to having to do emergency surgeries, um, and can get pretty, um, pretty full on, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, and then generally the afternoons are again, kind of tidying every, everything up, making sure everybody's medicated and fed again and, and closing down for the day. Right. Um, but definitely the clinic I've been helping at has been, uh, been very, very busy and sometimes you will get some kind of weird and wonderful things happening where there'll be an outbreak of a disease in a certain population or something, in which case you've got to go and, you know, do blood testing and um, try and work out what's going on and things like that. So it's a very... Every day is very different, but it's a really interesting job for sure. So about the infrastructure, because I guess to do blood tests and, and things like that, what, mm-hmm. what kind of equipment do you have? Yeah, so it definitely it depends where I am at the time. Um, on board, I was very lucky to receive a donation of an ultrasound. So that's been really, really helpful. It's um, semi-portable, depending on where you're going, but <laughs> it is portable. Um And for the most part, though, if I'm visiting um, more remote areas, I'm relying very heavily on um, like doing a physical examination of the animal and using their symptoms to give me clues as to what's going on. But there are some very good wildlife hospitals, both in Panama and Costa Rica as well, um, and particularly Costa Rica um, is working very much towards ecotourism and environmentalism and conservation. So the hospitals... um, often do have access to x-rays and the ability to run blood tests. Um, And we've been very lucky too where there's often um, retired, you know, US vets, veterinarians who live in the area who perhaps were orthopedic surgeons or cardiac specialists at one point in time, things like that. And often they're very willing to come in and, you know, give a hand on some of the really complicated surgeries, which has been really amazing. They've had some... um, animals with really severe fractures that they've been able to have an orthopedic surgeon come and and help with and return to the wild which definitely wouldn't happen in the average vet clinic so it's pretty amazing what they've been able to do that's so cool so what are the most extraordinary encounters you've made with animals um during your travels with chuffed ah so i think um working with primates has probably been uh one of the 
one of the really special things for me because it's not an animal I've worked with much in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have primates really in Australia, <laughs> so it's only in zoos. Um, and they're just so um, so human-like, you know, when they're – some of the sanctuaries have had primates that have lived there for a very long time. So they're not exactly tame, but they are interactive and they're used to humans and seeing the way they interact. And I guess when you look into their eyes, there's a very deep connection with primates, which I think is really, really special. Yeah. Um, but I've also really enjoyed the sea turtle work as well. I think um, animals that live for a really long time, I think they're – in their eyes, you can almost see the extra wiseness and intelligence that they carry. And so with the older sea turtles, it's a really, um, again, I think you, you feel a funny, like a quite a strong connection with them as well. Um, looking into their eyes and, um, yeah, I just really, I really quite like sea turtles. I think they're just very um, special little creatures. (laughs) Wow. So, um, what's the biggest challenges of working in the wild as a wild vet? Um, probably the biggest thing is the inability to run tests sometimes because um, sometimes you're trying to make a diagnosis on a quite a sick animal, like I said, just based on giving them a check over. And particularly with something like a turtle, you can't feel their abdomen because they've got a shell. You can't listen to their heart because they have a shell. You can really only kind of just look at them from the outside. So <laughs> it leaves a little bit <laughs> in question. Um but as I said, we do have the ability to transport them elsewhere and things, but I've definitely done some pretty um, kind of jungle setups. One of my friends is a turtle biologist and we've had, you know, drips going into veins, hanging from trees into turtles and things moving <laughs> out, out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I've done fish hook removals, um, you know, under just injectable anaesthetics um, in beach communities and things like that. So it definitely can be challenging um, at times, but it's really, I guess all the challenging things are also what make it quite fun. Like um, often we'll have quite an audience, which can be a challenge, um, but it's also very fun. My Spanish is still quite basic, but I'll have people talking to me in Spanish a lot of, while I'm trying to do surgery and my brain's not good enough to do both. And so little things like that, you know, makes it very fun, but can be challenging as well. So oh, that's fantastic. What's really amazing about your adventure as well is that you've managed to uh, create a real community around your your adventures um, with your YouTube channel and your blog and your Instagram account. And um, I think that what would interest the, the, the listeners is how, you, how you've actually sort of managed to grow this community whether it was on purpose or it's if it's by accident how, how did it all start how did the ball start rolling well when um when we were looking at moving aboard I I kind of made the decision that I really didn't want to work um in a paid veterinary clinic anymore like I wanted to be able to provide free veterinary care especially given the countries we were going to mm-hmm. um you know certain areas of Costa Rica and Panama are wealthy but there's plenty of areas that are not and I wanted to be able to help uh the wildlife and help with education and and help cats and dogs in needy communities as well so we c- kind of talked a lot about well you know how do we how do we make any money then because if I'm doing volunteer work and uh my ex-husband was looking after the boat. Um, you know, it's very difficult to to get paid work. So um, we had seen when we were looking at boats, we had watched some of the sailing blog channels and I was like, well, maybe the people would be interested in like the veterinary stuff as well as the sailing. So yes. 
yeah, basically originally I was filming on like a really old waterproof camera and an, like an iPhone 4, I think it was. Uh-huh. Um, and then just as time went on and we got a bigger audience, we slowly kind of upgraded the camera equipment and, um, yeah, it just kind of took off from there, I guess. And I definitely didn't expect it to fund what I'm doing as well as it has. It's still not, you know, we're not not making um, millions or anything, but it's definitely um, each month's just enough to keep the boat floating and to keep doing the volunteer work with the animals, which is really all I ever needed it to be. So it's, it's really come a long way. And also having, I guess, um, the support of people who believe in what you're doing and knowing that those people are hopefully telling their friends like, oh, I saw this you know, thing with a turtle and that's actually really hurting turtles and hopefully it's, you know, educating people on a wider audience as well, which is really nice to know. And I think inspiring people as well that you you can live, um, you know, I guess live the life you've dreamed of where it might seem a bit impossible, but if you give up what's not really important and just do the things that truly are meaningful to you and focus on them, you really can get by with very little and um, really live a what I like to think is a pretty dream dream existence. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's really, really cool. How how actually like in the details, how do you actually get the, the, the films up and running? Because if you're on the boat, you don't I guess you don't have Wi Fi and I mean it must be really yes. really complicated. <laughs> it is indeed complicated, <laughs> yes. It's um so I um I I do all the filming and editing uh, myself. So right. it's um it definitely can take up a bit of time. It took a little bit of getting used to because obviously um, video editing is not something I've studied before. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, I've been pretty on focused those. on the veterinary side. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so that was challenging initially, just learning how to edit videos and upload them and things. Um, but basically, once I've got a, I edit a video, then I add music and then I do sound <laughs> recordings and put it all together. And then um, depending where I am, sometimes my laptop comes to a local restaurant or a juice bar or something and gets <laughs> uploaded or um sometimes we're in areas where the internet really is terrible I've had to leave my computer at um when I was in the last Perlis there was one little resort on one of the islands and I used to leave my computer there overnight sometimes oh to upload videos because <laughs> I couldn't get it to go um or sometimes it you know I save it on a USB and then go to a friend's house or to an internet cafe or yeah. it can definitely be um a mission and <laughs> even with the Instagram and Facebook you only need quite a small amount of internet to get those photos up but you know sometimes you're driving the boat in a circle past an island and you're like I've got a bar slow down so you can try and get a photo up and, and you know let everyone know what you're doing <laughs> I guess we're moving on to the surfing part of of um yes of this interview and um well first of all I would just wanted to know if if surfing runs in the family or if this if this is something that you discovered on your travels um a little bit of a combination of both, but my my dad um, has surfed as a young man and and into his you know into his um, probably into his mid thirties he surfed um, and he really loved it. He he did, he lived in a beach town where it is actually where I currently am now in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, as kids, him and mum would they've been together since they were quite young and they would go up four wheel driving and all the boys would have surfboards and they'd go out and, you know, (laughs) surfing and four wheel driving and being loons and whatnot. Um, So it's definitely something that has been in the family, but dad actually taught me to me and my brother to surf when we were around kind of 12, 13, but 
about three months into our teaching, he actually uh, came off a wave and really badly hurt his back. Oh my God. So it kind of stopped in its tracks a little bit. It was an old injury that he re-injured on a surfboard again. Um, and soon after we moved towns and we were living in, this, in um, a town that was a bit further away from the water and it kind of just faded away after that. Um, so it's somewhat in the family, but I guess I rediscovered it again, uh, really only, um, probably about six, six, seven months ago now. So it's right. not been very long that I've been back <laughs> on a board. So. Yeah. And, and you've been probably to one of the sort of bucket list destinations for, mm. for any surfer, which is Pavonis. Um, yes. <laughs> could you tell me what you felt when you caught your first wave there? Yeah, so it was a bit of a um, one of those random things. We'd been, my husband and I arrived in Costa Rica together, and and then things fell apart a little bit. And I returned to the boat by myself. And the first month was really, really challenging. The boat had some major engine problems that had me very down in the dumps, and obviously the end of the marriage had me very down in the dumps. And um, I had always kind of said, oh, I want to go to Pavonis. I want to learn to surf there, you know. And then just one day I was just over it and was like, I'm, I'm just going to start doing it. So um, <laughs> I had met some friends and they taught, they took me out a couple of times, really just riding white water and whatnot. And then um, my mum came to visit and I took a month off surfing and travelled with her a little bit and then got back and was like, no, I, I really love this. I need to commit to it. So uh-huh. I actually got a lesson with a guy in Pavonas and um, – he has a place called uh, Una Ola and he, he's a really nice guy. He's been surfing for a very long time. And he kind of threw me in the deep end a little bit and took me out and was like, you can catch waves. You'll be fine. And so, um, so I kind of just paddled and all of a sudden I was on a wave and it was just such an amazing feeling catching, you know, an actual green wave. I wasn't on it for long, but, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it just is such a rush every time you get up. I think even now for me as a newbie, it's still such a rush. So, um, it was just such a good feeling and I, I got totally, completely addicted. And I think since then it, I haven't been more than four days without um, really? going to Pavonis. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 so the so boat's now... been in the area a little while now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so Pavonis is your home spot then. That's so You're so lucky. <laughs> yeah, so I can uh, pretty much only surf left. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. And so so do you own your own uh, your, your board? Wow. I was very lucky to um, be lent aboard for the last six months. So I've been surfing on a um, 710 Mini Mel, which has been a really good learning board and been really, really fun. And um, I've been really actively looking for a board for about two months and I kept finding ones I liked, but they weren't exactly what I wanted. And so I've actually got um, Randy Walker is a, a shaper in Pavonas and he's a really, really nice guy and he's actually now making me a eight-foot custom board. So I went all out straight away. <laughs> but but he's, uh, he's really well-priced and he's a really, really good guy and he makes some really beautiful boards. So I'm really super excited because I, um, I've been a bit fussy about exactly what I wanted and I thought, you know what, I'm going to treat myself and get get the board I want. So. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. So, yeah. So, are, are you going to travel up a bit further north and, and explore Dominical and Tamarindo or Playa Carmen and, and things like that? Or are yeah, you going to sort of stay? I would, I would really love to. I um, 
I went over to Bocas del Toro and Puerto Viejo on the Caribbean side, but unfortunately there was zero waves while I was there. Um, but I have explored the area around Pavones a little bit. There's quite a few breaks near Pavones, and on the other side of the bay is Marapalo and a few other breaks there as well. So that was really good to surf right for once and yes. uh, just to get on some different waves. I've been extremely spoiled in Pavonas and so now I'm used to a really long uh, point <laughs> break. And so as soon as there's a beach break, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I've done a bit of surfing back home here in Australia too, which has been nice. So I'm definitely hoping to explore further north. Um, I'm toying with the idea of getting chuffed up to Mexico eventually because, wow. you know, there's a lot of surf breaks between here and there and lots of animals that need help as well. So yeah. I'd love to be able to do that. Um, and I'm hoping to go to um, Europe towards the end of the year to do a bit of locum work because I, I try and do um, some locum work at veterinary clinics a few months each year so that I can um, save up a little bit of cash mm-hmm. along with the donations I'm getting for the animal work. Um so I'd really love to, I guess, maybe explore some waves around there to maybe try and get to Ireland. Probably a little big for me, but I'd at least like to go watch. <laughs> that was fantastic. I guess we're getting to the end of the interview, um, just about close to wrapping up. I've just got a few sentences that I usually ask my guests. Um, they're the beginning yeah. of a sentence that I ask them to finish. And sometimes they, we have some really, really interesting responses and inst- interesting answers. Um, so I'll start with the first. Um, it's I love. Oh, well, I, I definitely love surfing. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've definitely become addicted to that. Um, I think, though, I, I really love the lifestyle I'm living at the moment. And mm-hmm. I think it's really important to... Um, live a life that you're really happy with definitely being back home in Australia um you know I've seen a lot of friends who I guess are they're comfortable but I don't know that they're truly happy and I think that's something it's very easy to become comfortable uh but it's not necessarily challenging you or or making you happy and although what I'm doing at the moment definitely can have its challenges and there's times where sometimes I just think like I'm just going to tie the boat off and push it out to sea and you know never see it again it's um it also gives me you know such highs um you know the lows can be low but the highs are really really high and I think it's just so important to live a life that you really love so I think at the moment I'm definitely um, loving life which is good that's fantastic (laughs) what about I miss I miss my family, I think is the biggest yeah. thing. I um, Being home at the moment, my brother's got a new baby and that definitely makes it a lot harder to leave. <laughs> um, and I'm very lucky and they've come and visited me and things like that. But um, definitely I miss my family. Being so far from home is can be hard sometimes. Yeah, I bet. I bet. I wish. Oh, I wish. Um, oh, I just really wish to be happy, I think. <laughs> I, don't, no, I don't wish it too much. Um I, I guess probably one thing I really wish for is um, for, I guess, the people of the world to become more um, more educated, I guess, in terms of what's happening to our environment and to the animals in our environment and to the earth in general at the moment. I think um, I, I tend to see some of the, I guess, the worst sides of what's happening to the world with the work with the turtles and even, um, you know, some of the marine mammals in the area. We've had dolphins with um you know, plastic wrapped around them. There was a baby whale that was hit by a boat that was traveling too close to her. Things like that, that we, um, you know, that I guess I become exposed to. Mm -hmm. And it can make me a little cynical sometimes, but it it also, I guess, makes me really hopeful and makes me wish that um, 
people can, I guess, open their eyes to what is happening in the world and just even little changes really can make such a big difference. So yeah. I think it's really important for everybody to, to do that. So, yeah, I so guess I wish for that. <laughs> what, what, what kind of changes would, you, would make the most difference um, for, mm-hmm. for you? I think the um, I think the hard thing is a lot of people think you've got to do huge big things, but even little things like you know reducing your, your plastic, like taking plastic bags to shopping centres, using reusable straws, mm-hmm. um, working with turtles—that's one thing. The reusable straws are a real problem for turtles. They get them stuck everywhere. We've seen them with them up their noses, um, and you know they've eaten them. Same as plastic bags. Um, and even at some of the beaches I've gone to, there has been literally thousands of plastic water bottles on an uninhabited island, thousands and thousands and thousands. And it's just, it's quite heartbreaking to see something that would be so simple to just carry, you know, a reusable water bottle, but so many people don't do it. So I think, um, just little changes like that, like thinking about your plastic use, thinking about, um, you know, whether you need that new item or whether you perhaps already have an item that could do that job, um, just the kind of reuse, recycle um, type type mentality. And I guess to think whether you even need it in the first place, like the the plastic water bottles, that there's a really easy way around it. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And the last question is, um, I want. Um well, I would love it. I would want a new boat. <laughs> as much as I love Chuff, she uh, – She's been a bit of a problem child lately and um, I would, I mean, one thing I would really, um, I would really want is to have a bigger boat that I could perhaps look at having um, either more veterinarians on board or be able to take veterinary students so that people could kind of do, um, you know, almost like veterinary mission trip type things where we could really make a bigger difference. I definitely, I think it's been really, I've been very lucky to have made a difference to the place I travel, places I've traveled, but um, you know, having extra people means you can do more animals more quickly, get to more places. And so that would be something I would want a bigger boat one day to be able to make, to do uh, bigger things, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And um, just so one of the last questions out of curiosity, if, if you're not a veteran, uh, a vet, um, but mm-hmm. you still are really interested in helping out animals, what's the best way to conti- contribute? Could you, could somebody uh, who hasn't got any training go and volunteer or is that not necessarily yeah. recommended? No, definitely they can. Definitely they can. Um, And often they might not be able to work in veterinary hospitals, but um, a lot of like the clinic, uh, Alturas Wildlife Sanctuary is one of the places I've been working a lot in Costa Rica and um, helping their veterinarians. And they take volunteers from all over the world and they help with, um, you know, cleaning the animal cages, feeding the animals in hospital and in the sanctuary. Um, and so many people I've, I've met multiple people who've come for a volunteership and actually never left. And they've been there six, seven months because they just love it so much. Um, and definitely, um, even if you don't have experience with animals, you can certainly help with projects like that. And a lot of the turtle projects in Costa Rica also accept volunteers, um, you make a, you know, you contribute to the cause monetarily and in turn they teach you how to, you know, for example, monitor 
um, monitor hatching sites. Um, and if it's during nesting season or hatching season, you get to be involved in helping, you know, take measurements or count eggs and different things like that. And it's a really, really rewarding experience. So definitely um, there's plenty of animal volunteer opportunities in Costa Rica and all over the world for um, people of all skills. So. And and some surfing spots to, to enjoy as well. So if, uh, Yes, definitely do that while you're there. <laughs> yeah, That's fantastic. The bonus really is an amazing uh, – I'm so completely spoiled. I, I look at what everywhere else and I'm like, eh, that's okay. <laughs> Fantastic. I guess we've, we've made it. Um, how do you feel? Really good. It's been really, really nice talking to you. I oh, appreciate sharing my story. <laughs> yeah. So actually, so um, if we wanted to recap and find you online, what's the best uh, way to get hold of you? So there's a few different ways. Um, my YouTube channel is Vet Tales Sailing Chuffed mm-hmm. or Chuffed Adventures. We'll find it as well. Um, and that's pretty much the same for my Facebook and Instagram. And I also have a website that can link you to everything. And it's www.vettales.com. And tales is spelt like, uh, you know, the tail of a dog, just mm-hmm. a little play on, yes. play on words. <laughs> 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 fantastic so um so yeah and and i um you also have a patreon account so could you tell us more a bit more about that yeah so the patreon account um basically goes towards um the boat and veterinary work so it's to help keep the boat floating to get to new places and to help pay for medication surgeries um things like that and travel to and from uh locations i do veterinary work mm-hmm. um and essentially it's a monthly donation you can do as little as a dollar a month um, and it gives people access to some extra behind the scenes things like i record live updates uh since the videos are a few weeks behind i record live updates for the patrons send extra photos um and i guess they can get in touch with me a little easier and things like that so it's a pretty fun little community of um, people on the patreon which is really nice that's cool so yeah that's a way to donate and to help you sort of yeah. continue with your adventure that's great yeah definitely fantastic so well thank you ever so much shady for being my guest today it was a lovely conversation and i really really wish you the best with your your adventures and saving all these animals it's such a lovely a lovely job well done yeah thank you very much yeah i appreciate you having me and um yes definitely keep following along with everything it's um hopefully good bigger and better things for 2019 (laughs) exactly exactly well thank you very much see you soon bye-bye yes thank you see you That was a fantastic conversation. Sorry, I said fantastic far too many times in this episode, but it truly was. I'm in awe of Shetty's courage to sell everything to live on a boat. For those of you who'd be interested in a similar adventure, Chuffed only costs them $25,000 to buy, but there are constant repairs to do all year long. Actually, Shetty told me that Chuffed now has a leak when she turns the engine on, so she has to sail it up to Mexico to get some serious repairs done. If you fancy contributing to her repairs, there's a link in the show notes. I'm in awe with Shetty's bravery, especially as she's now keeping the dream alive all on her own. To catch up with Shetty and her vet adventures, how she's doing in the boat repair section and to watch her surf, you can connect to her YouTube channel called Vet Tales Sailing Chuffed. Alternatively, you can find her on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn and on her vettales.com blog. For donations, you can become a patron on patreon.com. All donations will go to the veterinary equipment 
and fund trips to animal sanctuaries and cover the general fees of running a clinic from a sailboat. They also help keep Chuffed afloat. Thank you ever so much for listening to this first episode of 2019. Uh, the Ocean Riders podcast is a weekly podcast and I'd be so thrilled if you could give it a few stars and a review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to share your story, you can connect with me at hello at theoceanriderspodcast.com or DM me on Instagram at theoceanriderspodcast. You can find this episode on most of the podcast apps such as Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Overcast, Deezer and of course Apple Podcasts. You can also stream the episodes on my website uh, on theoceanriderspodcast.com. I've created a Facebook group, so if you fancy joining the conversation after this episode, you're welcome to. I generally share job offers that would be perfect for surfers, um, so you never know, maybe you'll find a dream job there. I usually post job offers that are located in surfing spots or surf-related. The Ocean Riders podcast is also a Twitter account and a Facebook page, so you should be able to get hold of me somehow. You can also use my link tree to pave your way to your preferred social platform. The address for that is www.linktr.ee slash The Ocean Riders Podcast. All the links in the show will be available in the show notes um, that are on either on your podcasting app or on a Medium article on medium.com with photos of Sheddy and her wonderful patients. Thank you ever so much, Sheddy, for sharing your story and I wish you all the best for the third season on Chuffed. That said, I wish you a wonderful week until next episode. In the meantime, take care, have fun and enjoy the waves. Ciao.